0: We are not living the life that God has called us to live. We are not fully alive in him. Hope is not some wish. It's not some opinion or feeling to make you feel comfortable and make you feel good about yourself. Hope is pure trust. So my daughter's five and she has started to bring home math homework. And I thought, you know, I'm pretty good at math but I thought it would take a while for me to get a little stumped, you know? You know, I can, she's bringing home all this kind of math, you know, And, and I can tolerate algebra, maybe even a little calculus, but geometry is where I draw the line. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 187. I hope you enjoyed that dad joke. If it's your first time listening, that's how we start every episode, and we would love for you to rate and review this podcast after listening. It helps other people find it, so if you enjoyed it, they might as well. And please, share this podcast with family and friends. Recommend it to other people, even other podcasts. Say, hey, you might like this. Maybe you guys can collaborate. That would be awesome. Uh, And you can find all of our content on manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com. You can click the subscribe button to get our weekly psalm reflection emailed to you every Wednesday, or the give button to contribute as little as $1 a month to help offset the financial cost of this podcast. But we thank all of our patrons and thank all of our listeners, however you share, however you Listen and participate. I am so grateful for every single one of you. Let's get into our Joy Junk and Jesus. My joy, uh, it, this has been a very full week. I mean, since last recording, it was Halloween, All Saints, All Souls. Uh, our kids got to go trick or treating with our best friends and our families, like all of our parents. It was just really wonderful. Um, my deadline to the diocese for annulment paperwork finally passed, so I got most, if not all of that, submitted, which is such a blessing. Um, And we got to take our family photos for the year for our Christmas cards. And I gave several talks this weekend that all went well. Um, And this Tuesday, so this past Tuesday, after you're hearing this, November 7th is my birthday. So yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, And it's been great so far leading up to that. And the ways I've already been able to celebrate with family uh, has been wonderful. So Um, the junk has been, uh, it's been very full. My, my life has been very full. So, uh, some days have felt just like a sprint, but in the midst of that, I have felt very energized because I know I'm doing what the Lord is asking me to do. So, um, yeah, I did have a week, like it it kind of ended toward Halloween, you know, last week, but a week of just real difficult time with the kids and, and listening and, It was very frustrating, so I'm glad that is over for now. I'm sure we'll return. Um, And my Jesus moment, um, there have been a few. First of all, um, on November 4th was the six-year anniversary of this podcast. Six years uh, since our first episode debuted with Jenna and I co-hosting together. So, um, yeah, so grateful for for Jenna, who's still my best friend. And um, this wouldn't have been possible without her and without all of you listening. I always tell myself like, you know, I'm not the best at like marketing or social media or getting myself or the things I create out there. It's really not my gift. And I, I don't really like feel called to do that. I think if something is good, the Lord will make it happen. Um, so I keep telling myself if I stop getting feedback about my speaking, about my podcast, whether it's good or not, like if people just stop inviting or stop asking or commenting about it in a positive way, then I'll stop. And every time it feels like that might be the case, I get like an influx of people who are like, "Oh, I listen to your podcast. I really love it." Or uh, I run into people when I'm out speaking. I ran into a woman named Cynthia who knows me from Bible study, uh, but goes to another parish in the diocese. It was just so incredible to see how the Lord has been using uh, those those things and those avenues to bless other people. So. Um, that's just been a huge Jesus moment in my life in an ongoing way. I mean, I've had that rule for myself for a couple of years now to where I'm like, if, if people stop, if I stop hearing feedback for like a certain amount of time, like a month or two, um, then I'll probably stop doing this. And uh, every week it seems like people are at least saying that they're listening, asking me questions, saying that they liked it. So keep doing that because if you want this podcast to continue, um, if you're benefiting from it, uh, know that that's my rule. So I'm not looking for compliments, but it helps me gauge, like, is anyone out there listening? So um, yeah, and are they enjoying it? So I appreciate that. And if you haven't left those reviews or those ratings or shared this with people, that also helps. But yeah, that's been a Jesus moment. And my other one was, I don't know if this is true for you, um, but I had a, a very crazy week and I had a lot of appointments and then several of them just canceled. And that is just, I just experienced the Lord so much when someone cancels an appointment. And I have that time free. Uh, So I love being with people and I love keeping those appointments. But there's some days when I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. And the Lord just makes it happen. Appointments get canceled or moved around and it just works. So I always encounter God in those moments because he's just so clearly like controlling time and even the most minuscule of details of my life when I allow him to and when I surrender to his will. And everything works out and it's incredible. So yeah, with all that being said, let us get into our episode for this week. We are always looking at the second reading for this upcoming Sunday, which is the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time, and our reading comes once again from First Thessalonians chapter four, this time verses 13 through 18. So, as I've been reminding you, this is the first letter believed to have been written by Saint Paul, the earliest letter written somewhere around the year 50, uh, and writing to the church in Thessalonica um, about some of the issues that they're having now. This particular passage was written uh, to them by Paul because the community there, they were worried about people in their community dying because they expected that the second coming of Jesus was going to happen in their lifetime. And so they were worried, like, what's going to happen to the souls of these people who've died if they're not there to witness the second coming? And so Paul is telling them, like, do not grieve or lose hope. Our hope is in the resurrection. So whenever this happens, like, our hope is in the resurrection and, and they will be the first to rise. Uh, and so we get an uh, interesting kind of um, non-Catholic belief in the rapture from this passage as well that we'll talk about. So listen closely as we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is what Paul writes. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep, so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose... So too will God, through Jesus, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Indeed, we tell you this on the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, with a word of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, will come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, console one another with these words. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I first want to address this issue of the rapture. So, that that section there where it says that we uh, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That word caught up in Greek is harpazo. When it was translated into Latin, Uh, became rapio, which is where we get rapture from. Now, this is a belief that uh, has only been around for about the last 200 years. This idea that, um, and it's often associated with something called premillennial dispensationalism. It's a nice five letter word or $5 word for you, um, for the next party that you're at. Um, But premillennial dispensationalism, this is a belief taking some passages from Revelation uh, to literally where there's a belief that there's going to be a millennium. So premillennial means before the millennium, there's going to be a millennium, a thousand years of tribulation. The dispensationalism is the belief that the faithful are going to be caught up to heaven before all of that happens. And then there's like postmillennial dispensationalism, mid-millennial dispensationalism. There's all these ways in which they think like, the people who are gonna be raptured and taken up to heaven will, it'll happen before the tribulation, during the tribulation or after the tribulation, whatever. That means based on their interpretation of revelation. But here in this passage, it doesn't say that people are going to be left. It just says that those who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with those who are dead in Christ uh, in the clouds. And so this really, this passage is really about that final moment of Christ's coming. We can't combine this with revelation because remember the symbolic language of revelation, it largely applies to the destruction of Jerusalem. It's primarily about the victory that God has over sin, death, and the enemy. And it uses a lot of hyper-symbolic language because there was a genre of literature at the time, um, apocalyptic literature, or apocryphal literature, that, um, did I say that right, apocryphal? For some reason, that word didn't sound like the correct word. But apocalyptic literature, it was this highly symbolic way of, um, of writing to communicate a certain idea. Um, So just like today, there are popular genres like sci-fi or mystery or thriller. You're not literally interpreting everything that people say. You're trying to investigate, like, what is the hidden meaning here? And there's, there's kind of joy in that storytelling process, and that's why people liked it. So it was very popular at the time that Revelation was written. And so it used symbolism to convey... Uh, the teachings from these prophecies or visions that John had received about the victory of Christ and the victory of the church, the victory of God over sin, death, destruction, and the destruction of Jerusalem that was being predicted. So a lot of that symbolism that's in Revelation can be basically fulfilled by the events of the, the first century. And then some of it does point forward in time to eventually when Jesus will come again. So, uh, secondly, this idea of being caught up in the air that language is used elsewhere in scripture, such as in Acts chapter eight, when, when Philip, one of the deacons, uh, he is caught up, when he, uh, he is relocated suddenly away from the Ethiopian eunuch who he baptizes. And he ends up in an entirely different city, uh, several miles away instantaneously. So that caught up language doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everyone is going you know, to heaven. It might mean that when Jesus comes down, they're caught up with him. They're relocated and transported to where he is for that moment of the second coming. So we have to also be sensitive to the way that language is used. So Catholics do not believe in the rapture. We don't believe that suddenly Jesus will come and all the faithful will rise and, and everyone will be left. We believe that the second coming will happen. It will be obvious and everyone will be brought forth together for final judgment. Those who are still alive will be uh, have their particular judgment first and that those who are alive and who have died and already been judged will all come together once again for the final judgment. No judgments will be changed or reversed, but everything will be announced and everything will be revealed so that everyone understands the fullness of God's plan and why everyone ended up where they did. So, there is no uh, such thing as the rapture. The Catholic Church does not teach it or believe it, and it doesn't really align properly with Scripture if you understand these passages in their proper context. All of that being said, we're getting toward the end of the liturgical year, so um, we have a cycle of readings that follows a church calendar that uh, ends right before the season of Advent. So every new church year starts with the season of Advent when we celebrate the Incarnation, God becoming man, and we remember that. So toward the end of the liturgical year, because Advent is coming up, usually toward the end of November, we hear a lot of readings about the end of time and the second coming because we're nearing the end of the year and. The readings, uh, th- those people who organized the readings thought it appropriate that every year in that cycle, because we're ending the year and we're restarting this cycle of readings, to be reminded of the fact that there will be an end, not just an end to the calendar, but an end to everything. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We cannot have fallen asleep. Now, uh, in the reading, obviously, falling fallen asleep is an um, analogy for those who have died. But it can also be interpreted as those of us who have gotten lazy. So as I read this, the question I ask myself and that I ask you is, have you fallen asleep? Are you alive? Are you fully alive in your faith and in Christ? You know, it was a Saint Irenaeus that said, the glory of God is a man or a human being fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. And in John 10.10, 10, I came that you will have life and that you will have it to the full. That's what Jesus says. I came that you would have life and that you would have it to the full. Do you feel fully alive, or have you, brothers and sisters, in your faith, in your energy, and your determination, and your zeal for for things you're passionate about, or pursuing things that are good for you, have you fallen asleep? There's these two. I've talked about these many times before, but in the Catechism, uh, under the section of the virtue of hope, it talks about the two sins against hope, and they are presumption and despair. Presumption assumes. That we, um, that we don't need hope because we're already good. It kind of it, It's like too much false hope. And this can, can happen when we fall into laziness or comfort and we think like, you know what, I'm good, my life is fine, I don't really need to change anything or do anything else. The catechism would teach and the church would teach that's a sin against the virtue of hope because we have to have hope that Jesus will come and if we have hope that Jesus will come, we better start acting like it and getting our act together not falling asleep spiritually, but being expectant in our faith and in our anticipation of Jesus coming at the end of time, but also Jesus coming to meet us every single day. That God is calling you to something specific. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And if you are resting on your laurels, procrastinating, being lazy, getting comfortable, um, falling into the the deadly sin of sloth, all of these things can be uh, a cause for the sin of presumption that, oh, I don't really think I need to do anything. And then on the other end, there's the sin against hope that says, well, it doesn't really matter what I do, there is no hope. And so we seek things like pleasure, we fall into hopelessness, we fall into despair. So presumption and despair are these sins against hope. And and many people lose hope. Many people do not feel that there is value for them to be alive. I heard a statistic um, the other day that said 25% of people 18 to 24, 25, um, have um, considered taking their life in the last month. One in four young, young adults. And when they've done these studies, this was a Father Mike Schmidt's um, homily that I'm regurgitating here, but I thought it was very, very um, uh, poignant and very well put. Um, when they did studies about um, the this, so he basically said that in, in 2018, it was the first time in like a bunch of years that the um, the the death no the life expectancy of uh, Americans had had gone down three years in a row, and it was the first time in like a long time. I can't remember what he said, um, but it had gone down every year for three years in a row, and they attributed that to what they called. Um, I think it was called The Sins of Despair or deaths, uh, deaths of Despair. And there were three things, suicide, cirrhosis of the liver due to alcoholism, and opiate abuse because the United States is about 5 to 7% of the world population and we consume 80% of the world's opiates. And so despair is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing you may be struggling with. And part of it may be this this reality of losing this sense of, um, of life, the sense of expectation of the sense of, of hope in Jesus Christ. In Dante's Inferno, um, when they're entering hell, hell has this door and above the door is a sign that says, abandon all hope, you who enter here. And so we could interpret that and in saying, if we don't have hope, if we are, if we've fallen into presumption or into despair, we are living in some way, a version of hell on earth. We are not living the life that God has called us to live. We are not fully alive in him. Hope is not some wish. It's not some opinion or feeling to make you feel comfortable and make you feel good about yourself. And hopefully, you know, something good is coming down the line so you make good choices. No, hope is pure trust in the fact that God is real, that he came down as Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He rose again to show us that we will one day rise with him and that he is one for us eternal life if we so choose to accept it and accept the grace that he he won for us on the cross accept the gift of salvation that he's given to us that's what it is that's what hope is and so jesus is coming he's coming back one day it could be today it could be billions of years from now i don't know but he's coming i got that song get ready because here i come in my head now um but yeah jesus is coming we don't know when and so like what are you going to do about it? Like like what what are you waiting for? Like if I if I told you if I came up to you one day and I said, "Hey, I am going to give you 1 billion dollars if your bed is made when I arrive at your house." But I'm not going to tell you the day or the time of day that I will arrive. It'll be sometime in the day, but I won't tell you the day or the time of day that that I will arrive. It'll be some point in your lifetime. But when I arrive, if your bed is made, I will give you $1 billion, no questions asked. Would you make your bet every day? I think you would have to be a moron not to make your bed every day. I mean, maybe you don't care about a billion dollars, but anyone, even if they didn't want it for themselves, knows they could do an immense amount of good with that. And so whatever your intention or, or lack of care or desire for that money, like I still think it would be completely irresponsible in that given scenario not to make your bed every day. The price of eternal life is worth infinitely more. And God has basically given you the same ultimatum. He said, I will give you eternal life if you remain in me. If you respond to the gift of salvation and you remain in a state of grace, I will show up one day unannounced. I will not tell you when, but if you remain in that state, you will get eternal life. If you would make your bed, why on earth are you waiting to live fully alive in Christ and do the things that he has asked of us so that you can be free, so that you can receive that gift of salvation. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult to have discipline, but it's not impossible. God wouldn't ask us to do anything that we could not do without him. Maybe it's because you're trying to do it on your own. Maybe it's because you don't have accountability. You're not confiding in people. You're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable about your struggles. You're telling the Lord that you can do it on your own. You're not asking him for help. You're not asking for the intercession of the saints or your guardian angel of Mary, of Joseph. like Those are the things that we need. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have offered them to us. Otherwise, God would not have created us with this universe that is unseen, that is fighting battles on our behalf. And we have the audacity and the pride to think, well, I can pick myself up by my bootstraps and overcome this sin all by myself without telling a soul because I don't want anyone to know about this. No, that's not how church works. We are all sinners. We're all a mess. We all need help. Not a single one of us can do this without the grace of God. And so if you want to be fully alive, brothers and sisters, if you feel like you've fallen asleep in some part of your life, receive the grace of God. Ask for it. Ask for help. And do what you need to do to get up and start actively working at the things that you need to do to respond to the gift of salvation and to remain in that state of grace every single day. And if you mess up, that's why Jesus gave us confession. Get to confession. Run to confession as fast as you can and and do whatever you can to cut out those things that lead you to sin. Every time you sin, keep a log, mentally or written down, what were the circumstances that led me to this? I was alone, was I uh, hungry, was I angry, was I lonely, was I tired, was I stressed, what time of day was it? And eliminate those possibilities from happening next time. Next time you feel hungry, eat. Next time you feel angry, go for a run, go punch something, not a person. Uh, Next time you feel lonely, go out and meet with some friends. Next time you feel tired, take a nap. Next time you feel stressed, do something to bring you peace, to bring you joy, confide in someone, have some accountability. But don't sit there and act like it's impossible to overcome your sin because every saint has been able to do it. Not from their own effort or their own, you know, work, but because they allowed God to work in them. If you do that, you will no longer be asleep. You will be fully alive in Christ and the hope of, of the second coming, the hope of the resurrection, uh, the end of your life, the moment of your death, they will not be scary. They will be almost moments you excitedly anticipate because you know the value and the gift of eternal life. And you cannot wait to experience the goodness and the glory of your relationship with God come fully alive in heaven because you trust that he will take care of everything that you are not in control and that he can do a far better job than you could ever hope to do, even at your most prepared. And so just just follow him. Live the fully alive life that he has promised you by obeying the teachings that he's given us, by doing the things that he has asked us to do because they lead to the fullest and most joyful life possible. And if you feel, brothers and sisters, like you've fallen asleep, you've gotten lazy in your faith, you've gotten comfortable, or you've fallen into hopelessness or cycles of pleasure-seeking, or instant gratification, you're settling in some way. All of those things are robbing you of the hope that Christ is seeking to give you. And so get some help, confide in someone, have a moment of clarity and just say, you know what, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna make my bed. You know, as, a, as an analogy. Whatever it is that you need to do to get to that state where you're ready. You're ready for when Jesus comes every day you're not falling into sin, serious sin at least will always fall into some kind of sin but you're not falling into serious sin you're not straying, you're committed in your relationship with the God with God. you're praying every day, you're coming to mass, you're getting to confession, you're getting to chapel you're you're doing your devotions, whatever it is that brings you close to him. Do not rest on your laurels. keep fighting the good fight. keep running the race because it is worth it. That is all I have for you, my brothers and sisters. I hope it blesses you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless you.